The scripture reading tonight is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the sin. For if many died through one man's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the effect of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one sin brought condemnation. But the free gift following many sins brings justification. If because of one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Then as one man's sin led to condemnation for all men, so one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal in life for all men. For as one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Law came in to increase the sin, but where sin increased, grace also abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Paul, I've been thinking about you my entire life, but you have never once thought about me. I understand this is how time works. You are in the past and I am in the present. That doesn't mean that I have to like it. You stand out there in the darkness of the past, instructing, reprimanding, and you have no idea who we are. You've never seen an airplane, you've never heard of recorded music, bacteria, pop-up boutiques, the internet. You don't even know there's a city named after you. It's Monday, I'm sitting here with my laptop, I'm trying to read your epistle to the Romans, but I'm also trying to read politico.com because Russia just deployed troops into Crimea and I'm terrified we're going to war again. Paul. Scholars seem to be in agreement that the epistle to the Romans is a diatribe. They say that you are addressing a heckler through a structured series of arguments. These Bible scholars, they love this thing. They say that this is your most important theological document. N.T. Wright calls it a breathtaking theological and spiritual vision. Joseph Fitzmaier, a Jesuit scholar, states that it overwhelms the reader by the density and sublimity of the topics with which it deals, the gospel of the justification and salvation of Jew and Greek alike by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ revealed, revealing the uprightness and love of God the Father. Density and sublimity, breathtaking vision. These people are ecstatic. 
What I want to know is how long did you spend working on it? Why? Because really, Paul, it could use some work. <clears throat> Almost all of it seems foolish, poorly thought through. It's digressive, indulgent, it rambles, it's contradictory. Sometimes people mistake a mess for a work of deep complexity when, in reality, it's really just a big mess. I know about this because I read contemporary literature. You start to recognize it when someone cobbles something together in an afternoon, which is probably true. You probably did throw this together in an afternoon, and now we're stuck with it until the end of history. Paul, the end of history might not be too far away. Crimea, Venezuela, Bosnia, Brazil, the large hadron collider that may or may not open a black hole, a fungus in Oregon that covers four square miles, scientists turning urine into brain cells, 3D printers printing out human bones and assault rifles, the NSA's new data center that allows them to store the video and audio recording of 13 million people's lives, Facebook buying a company that produces drones, I've read about how bad you had things back in the first century, people being beheaded, burned alive, fed to lions. These are things that should never happen to anyone. And I'm not asking to switch places, but I will say this. You had tangible things to be afraid of. Our fear now is dispersed, abstract, a gloom of dread. We have intelligence agencies inside of intelligence agencies spying on intelligence agencies. We have computer algorithms in giant servers watching the quivers in temperatures around the earth trading billions of dollars in a millisecond because Brazil had a cold morning. Where's the threat coming from? Who can we trust? How does it feel to be vaporized by a nuclear warhead, to be sucked into a black hole? It's Wednesday, and we just deployed four F-15 fighter jets to the Ukraine on a policing mission. What I'm trying to say is this, Paul. Reading your epistle to the Romans doesn't seem to be the most pressing thing to do right now. Paul, maybe we're not reading you right. Scholars say that you built your arguments to win that you'll do anything for the good news. Maybe your arguments are means to the truth and not the truth itself. Today, we heard you make the assertion that just as sin came through one man and spread to all men, grace came through one man and spread to all men. Just as one sin resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. My first reaction is to say that this is a nice, tidy narrative. It's cute, a little naive, a little cliche now, FYI, Paul. The one bad guy causing all the problems and the one good guy cleaning it up. We'll have a few new versions of this story in our movie theaters this summer, no doubt. But your ecstatic supporters will argue that your logic is sound. They'll argue that it is the truth, and maybe 
but I think a freshman philosophy major could grind up your, this logic in a half hour. But let's say it is true. I'll grant you the propositions. My question then is, who cares? Doesn't tell me how to live. Doesn't instruct us on how we should act towards each other. It doesn't tell us how we should think about Google or structural poverty or derivative trading or Obama or Crimea. It answers the question only it cares about. It feels like an idea that's roaming on its own theoretical island. It's like telling me how the, how the sun works. I don't really care as long as it keeps shining. And anyways, if it does stop shining, I won't be around to care either. Paul. But maybe the Roman Jews needed a systematic explanation for how death entered the world and how it was abolished in order to stop asking their Gentile brothers to get circumcised. That's why you're writing to the Romans in the first place, right? That's the battle you're fighting here, arguing that the Roman Gentiles don't need to get circumcised, which really just seems like a bad joke. Actually, it all seems a little humorous now, the circumcision thing, the systematic explanation. It seems as humorous as those kids running behind a DDT truck waving their arms through the smoke, a more innocent time. See, Paul, we're living in an infinitely more complicated, fragmented world. Post-relativity, post-internet, post-World War II, we have difficulty fully trusting language or time or ourselves. It's difficult to believe your tidy explanation of death and salvation when you have difficulty trusting the basic building blocks of reality. It's Friday morning, and CNN's headline reads, Lessons for a New Cold War. Paul. Vladimir Nabokov, the writer, was not just a writer. He also constructed elaborate chess problems. His favorite problem goes like this. The solution to the chess problem is simple, but it seems too simple for this sophisticated solver. There's too many other paths for her to explore, too many dangling strings for her to pull on. And indeed, the problem is constructed to drag the sophisticated solver into a swamp of dead ends until finally she discovers that the solution has been right in front of her the entire time. In Nabokov's words, the ultra-sophisticated solver would reach the simple key move, bishop to c2, as somebody on a wild goose chase might go from Albany to New York by way of Vancouver, Eurasia, and the Azores. <coughs> the pleasant experience of the roundabout route, strange landscapes, gongs, tigers, exotic customs, the thrice-repeated circuit of a newly married couple around the sacred fire of an earth of a fire... <clears throat> would amply reward her for the misery of the deceit. And after that, her arrival at the simple key move would provide her with a synthesis of poignant artistic delight. So maybe a tidy explanation of grace dispersal is not the point of this passage. Maybe this is just one of the propositions you know the Romans would agree with. 
the Roman Jews would agree with. Bertrand Russell famously said that ideas are not like taxi cabs. You can't get off wherever you like. So where do you let us off? You take us through some strange, vaguely distasteful neighborhoods in Romans, giving some people today ammunition to be, how would you put it, inhospitable to the GLBT community, for example. But here is where you let us off. You say, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You say, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. You say, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to praise God. And these things are actually beautiful, cliche maybe, but powerful in their simplicity and practicality. You say, practice hospitality. Is that what you're actually trying to tell us now in this roundabout way, these simple ideas? Maybe this is how the world works, elliptical and full of mirage. Our desires and motivations rest on the surface, but the only way we can recognize each other is through that long backward search. Arguments are not solved by a simple stating of facts. Community is not created by a checklist of milestones. It seems true that we struggle and bang up against each other until suddenly we witness some fleeting gesture of the other's essence. Epiphany, James Joyce might call it. And you don't know us, Paul. You've never met us. But here in your city, this strikes me as surprisingly prescient. The images on Facebook, the micro-updates on Twitter, the pop-up clothing boutiques, the fast-food drive throughs none of these ask us to take the long, backward search. Empire asks us to accept the simple, the veneer. There's no value to the roundabout route, it says. Why write a note to someone when you can just click like? But doesn't that empty out the meaning of liking and loving something, of everything? Don't think about that, Empire says. Look at this. Do you like this? So maybe this is what you're trying to say, Paul. That the grace and mercy of God is so simple and so right in front of us that we have to take a long journey to accept it for ourselves. Minneapolis to St. Paul by way of Hong Kong. You ask us to re resist the temptation to get out of the taxi. And you remind us that the long elliptical route is most likely the only route to the simple truths we all knew in the first place. The truths that you might find in an old country gospel song. <laughs>